Welcome. Come on in, have a seat. Give people a couple seconds. We started something new. We got a little countdown joint going on here. With It even has words this time. So I don't yell at y'all for the next six months. All right, it's got words this time. We are back in Mark. Back in Mark. If this is your first week, we've taken a whole year, and really a year plus, to address the gospel according to Mark. Verse by verse, we want the loudest voice in the stands of our heart to be the voice of Jesus. The primary way that he uses his voice is through the scriptures. The Bible says that the scriptures are written by the Holy Spirit. That they're ordained, they're thought of, they're penned by the Holy Spirit through man. And so one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is through his scripture, if not the primary way. Therefore, on Sunday morning, we want the primary voice to be the scriptures. We don't want it to be my voice or our programming or a smoke machine or great this or great that. We want it to be Jesus and a sense of dissection and a sense of depth in his word. And that's why we go verse by verse and that's why we methodically go through it and that's why we dissect the historical context. For the last four weeks, we've been addressing a topic bouncing around Mark. That topic is money. We believe that money is deeply tethered to your heart. It's deeply tethered to your emotions. It's deeply tethered to your relationship with God. And therefore, we wanted to channel it into your relationships with other people, your discipleship relationships, and your relationship with Jesus, how you engage Jesus, how you talk to Jesus, how you think about Jesus. We think that money should be a big part of that, and your faith and your trust. This is the last week in that. And really, this scripture is not primarily a money scripture. This scripture is really a broader topic with money on the periphery of that scripture. Money's going to fit in kind of a slot of this scripture. And before I do that, let me not trip on, my, on this stage in front of everybody and fall over that thing. Because that, that's kind of a big drop off. And we don't want tragedy on a Sunday morning, okay? So, so Jesus is going to address something more broad. But money is going to fit in one of those slots in this scripture. We're in Mark 12, 13 through 17. Mark 12, 13 through 17. We love when you turn with us. We believe this is a participatory sermon. It's not just me yelling at you, Okay? Mark 12, 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. You ever meet somebody who, teaches, who talks out both sides of their mouth? Right? I like you. I don't like her. That person, right? The Pharisees and the Herodians don't even like each other. The Pharisees and the Herodians operate on different sides of the aisle. The Pharisees are highly and deeply religious, at least they're legalistic and they care about the law. The Herodians are just Herod followers and really sit on the other side of the aisle. And their only togetherness comes with trying to kill Jesus. And so they're talking on both sides of their mouth, meaning one, at one side of their mouth they're saying, Jesus, you're amazing. Everything that you say is true. You don't care about anybody's opinion. You have this thing about you. On the other side of their mouth, they're trying to trap Jesus in what we're going to call a Kanye question. Okay, they're trying to trap Jesus in a Kanye question. Uh, clarification on what that means after the actual Kanye question. Is it lawful, they say to him, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them? Or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. 
And they brought him one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. This is a rock in a hard place question. In other words, it's a Kanye question. The reason I'm calling it a Kanye question is because for the last three weeks, two weeks, I've gotten the Kanye West question over and over and over again. If you don't know who Kanye West is, he's one of the most talented rappers, really of the last 10 years, one of the most influential rappers of the last 10 years. His wife is probably one of the most influential people in America. I don't really know how, but her name's Kim Kardashian, and she's one of the most polarizing figures in America. It tells you where we're at. Okay, so the, this couple together is super polarizing, is in the public face all the time, and Kanye has done Kanye things for the last 10 years. Not very Jesus-like things, and just to take you a little bit deeper, Kanye entitled one of his albums and called, him, called himself on one of his albums, Jesus. So he compared himself to Jesus, which in the Christian world is something we call blasphemy. Okay, so this is who Kanye has been. And now Kanye comes out with an album, very popular album, right off the get, called Jesus is King. Jesus is King. And he's preaching theology on this album, and he's preaching to America on this album, and he's talking about Jesus all over this album. So when someone comes up to me, a pastor, and they're like, hey, what do you think about this? It's a very loaded question. They're asking, do you think this is the real deal? Do you think he really loves God? Do you think he's really saved All these things they're asking in one question. And again, I'm getting about twice a week at this point, right? It's a loaded question. It's a trap. It's a trap question. You know those things that you just kind of, it's like a landmine that you plant on a social media outlet and you just watch the shrapnel blow up on both sides of the comment section? This is that question. Here's why. Each side has holes, deep holes, Let me come over here for one side. One side is, Jesus came and died for all of us. Goodness. Jesus came and died for Kanye West. How could you be against Jesus dying for and loving Kanye West? He came to seek and save the lost. Kanye was lost, and now he's found. Praise God, are you a Pharisee that you would think that Kanye West is not found? It always gets really personal, doesn't it? Are you legalistic? Do you not know grace in your own life? It's a very convincing argument. You come over to the other side. The other side's like, you know what? Let me take a little time on this. Let me, let me pause. Because 1 Timothy 3, you can put 1 Timothy 3 up there. 1 Timothy 3 puts it like this. Uh, if you're putting someone in leadership, in a teaching role, in a, in a pastoral role, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Do you think that Kanye West might fall into that condition, considering he called himself Jesus. Just maybe. So may I have a moment, you may think to yourself, to think through this recent convert who really became a pastor to the entire nation in about 40 seconds after he gave his life to Jesus. He started a church on Sunday mornings, essentially. Uh, We we know that two other hip-hop artists went through the same process uh, one was named Mace. Where are my 80s babies at? 80s babies on Mace? Yeah, all right, yes, yes. Mace became a pastor. Let me just say now he's not, okay? DMX put out an album that was surrounding faith, right? It was, the, the main idea was his faith in God. And then he sneezed and went to jail like 12 times in a row, okay? So forgive me. Here's this side. Forgive me if I take a minute 
and just pray for Kanye and hold my cards to myself. Both sides. It's a trap. It's a Kanye question. The Herodians and the Pharisees try to catch Jesus in a Kanye question. On one side of the coin is the actual side of the coin, right? Which is, Jesus asked them for a denarius, and the coin that they have is blasphemous. Here's the coin that they have. On one side it says Tiberius Caesar, uh, which is basically that, uh, and the words that inscribe around his face uh, basically say that, that Caesar is divine. So on one side of the coin it's saying Caesar is divine, which should be reserved for just God. On the other side of the coin, it says Pontifex Maximus, uh, which really is a proclamation that Caesar is the high priest of Rome. So here's one side of the coin, literally and figuratively. They're saying, why don't you deal with this idea that Caesar is divine? So if Jesus accepts this idea, he's blaspheming against himself because it should say that Jesus is divine. It should say that Jesus is the only high priest But here, Caesar is divine, and Caesar is the only high priest. That's one side. But if he denies it on the other side, he could go to jail. He could get arrested. He could get crucified too early, right? And that's not a goal of this time yet, at least for another year or so. Jesus doesn't want to be crucified yet. And so Jesus is put in a trap. At least they think he's put in a trap. They think they're trapping him in a political question, in a loyalty question, in a money question, But Jesus is going to respond in a Jesus way, and he's going to change the game. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. I believe in the King James Version, that is called, Micah droppeth. Right? Jesus says, everything has its place. Put it in its place. Profound. Um, I know that none of you live with me, and you should all be glad that you don't live with me. Um, I can be a little obsessive about where things go, and my wife has to deal with this all the time. Some of you live in the mess, and that's good for you, and some of you live in like a controlled chaos, and that's good for you. I like to know that things are where they are supposed to be. I'm very good at organizing somehow, and Anne loves to tell people in public that I am so that I organize more, because I really accomplish a lot when I organize um, and one of the things that I organize is the dishwasher. It's my job to do the dishes. Uh, I do the dishes most of the time, and so I'll wash them first. I believe in redundancy when it comes to cleanliness. I wash them, and then I put them in the dishwasher. And in the dishwasher, everything has its place. The bowls do not, I repeat, the bowls do not go on the top. There is no good place for the bowls on the top. Okay? Some of, you, some of you who do the dishes, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? We have these, these little dishes that is it's funny because they're for like a little, like a little fruit cup uh, and they're for sauces. My wife feeds J.D. cereal in them. The poor kid's got three bites and he's, he's done, right, okay? These things do not, I repeat, they do not go on the bottom. They do not. The prongs are too big. There's this perfect slot for these dishes on the top where you achieve maximum capacity of the top of the dishwasher, and they are the perfect distance from each other. That's important, okay? They're the perfect distance from each other to achieve maximum cleanliness. Everything has its place. And the organized people in my my life are just feeling it right now. They're like, yes, 
preach about organization. One time I called Ann because she did the dishes and things were smushed up against each other and they were, you know, balls were on the top. I'm like, babe, we got to talk. And she's like, oh, did someone die? I'm like, no, we have to talk about the dishes. You know, she's like, she's like, why did I move in with you at some point? I feel bad for her. I do. I do. But everything has its place, right? I was on the train with uh, Selah and my other two kids. Um, but Selah was the one who was exhibiting excessive flatulence um, in a... <laughs> In a very quiet train, it was NJ Transit, we were going to North, North Jersey to see Apu, uh, that, that's, that's their grandma, uh, we're going to North Jersey, and, and it's very quiet, and she's, it's, it's loud as well as the other thing, um, and so I had to tell her, you can't do that, and she's like, but daddy, I always toot. She's trying to figure out, why are you rebuking me now? Like, at home, you like, give me high fives, and now you, you change your mind, I don't understand, and I had to t- tell her, like, everything has its place, right? Everything has its place. My mother at one point, I was working with a bunch of men. I was pastoring a church, and there was a bunch of men in the office. And for my birthday, she sent me flowers. And I just told her, I don't think it's, you know, toxic masculinity to not expect that you send flowers to my job full of men. She's like, why? I love you. I send you flowers on your birthday. I'm like, I don't really feel that. By the way, my mom listens to all the podcasts. I love you, Mom. Um, but, you know, she's the one subscriber. Uh, so I, t- I told her, everything, everything has its place, right? Everything has its place. It's good. I love the flowers, but everything has its place. Uh, Jesus is giving less of a financial lesson today, and he's giving more of a placement lesson. Jesus is giving less of a loyalty lesson, a politics lesson. He's giving more of a placement lesson. He's going to tell them everything has its place. And you need to allow God to put it in its place. Would you look at a neighbor and tell a neighbor everything has its place? Yeah, you got to tell them, like, you don't wear flower print in December, right? Uh, You don't drink pumpkin spice in May. Everything has its place. Would you pray with me and enter a message entitled, Everything Has Its Place? Jesus, we love you. And we pray that you would place things in our life today exactly where they need to be. For some reason, we have trouble with this. For some reason, when we feel trapped, we have trouble putting things where they need to be in your context with you as sovereign Lord over those things. I think a lot of the times we we love to talk about putting things in Jesus' places on Sunday morning, but when it gets to Monday afternoon, we have trouble putting that thing in a Jesus place. And so would your Holy Spirit work here Teach us where we're trapped, and teach us where we need to put something in its place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back to the scripture like we usually do, and and just kind of go verse by verse and dissect it one verse at a time. And they sent him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, but do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Let's just look at how savage this really is. Okay, the Pharisees, again, are religious zealots. We'll call, and, and I'm not comparing them to any political party, but let's just put them in the red, okay? They're, they're, they're in the red. They are all about making decisions toward not really God in a relationship with God, but the law. Whereas, if we come over here, the Herodians are followers of Herod's. They're supporters 
of Herod's. Let's put them in the blue. Again, I'm not really comparing them, but I'm just, we know this red and blue thing, and so I'm just going to put them in some categories here. They're over here, and they don't really care about religious zeal at all. They don't really care about God. They have all, all forms of ideas of God, but, but they are supporting Herod. And yet somehow they get into a room and they agree on something. So just picture Republicans and Democrats getting in a room together and agreeing on something. We'd all be like, huh? Just picture them getting in a room and agreeing to kick someone out of office. Maybe that's kind of happening right now. But just picture them trying to chase somebody down. That's an underneath-the-surface joke. Uh, maybe a little bit too deep for some of us right now. So just, just picture them trying to off somebody. They, they want to kill Jesus. That's the only reason they're together. That's the only reason they're crossing the aisle. And Jesus came as a Jewish rabbi. So Jesus loves the Jewish people. He came, he came to seek and save everybody, right? Even the lost sheep of Israel is what they're called, the Gentiles. But he also came to, to seek and save Jews, right? These are his primary people. And the Romans are oppressing the Jews. They're oppressing them in a number of different ways, but one of the major ways are the taxes, the taxes that are at hand here. I want to tell you about the three major taxes that they're going through right now. The first one is the ground tax. And the ground tax is 10% of food and 20% of all wine and fruit. And so the Jewish people are being taxed 30% of their food and drink. Imagine going to South House getting yourself, shout out to Shemoy, getting yourself uh, some chicken and waffles, and the Romans come in and they eat a waffle. They just eat one-third of your plate. That's what's going on here. Income tax is just 1% of all wages. That's not that bad. We know how we feel about all that. We get more than that taken out. Uh, but the poll tax is one, year's wa- uh, one, day's, one laborer's day's wages, the, the, the coin at hand, but it's, it's, so it's a full day of your job, but it's also from ages 14 to 65, you're paying this tax. So puberty to their expected death. They're expected to die well before 65. Puberty to death. And it's not just the level of taxing, but it's what's going to be enforced and how it's going to be enforced and the persecution that's going to be involved and the possible violence that's going to be involved when it comes to uh, submitting to Caesar and his taxes so either Jesus takes the side of Caesar and kills his loyalty to his people, or on the other side, he says, I'm subject to whatever you want. Somewhere in the middle, there is, if I admit to Caesar being divine in any way, shape, or form, I'm blaspheming against myself, like we said before. Savage trap. Life can be a savage trap, right? Some of you are in a savage trap right now. It's a relational trap. You're wondering, how can this person not know that I'm dealing with this? And how can this person not know that I'm dealing with this? And yet they want me to mediate for them. It's a trap. Maybe it's a family member. You're like, you should know me. You should love me. And yet you're treating me this way. Feels like a trap. Maybe it's a financial trap. Here I go for the last four weeks or so talking about how you need to give money to Jesus and have a giving life and have faith, but you're like, I don't have any money to give, and it feels like you're trapping me in this context. I don't really, I don't really know what to do. Maybe you're in a money trap. Maybe you're in a trap with your boss. 
You want to do something Jesus-like. You want to live for Jesus. Your boss wants you to do something non-Jesus-like, and you don't really want to lose your job. But you don't really want to look to Jesus and go, I'm sorry, but i got to do this. Even though I know you don't like this. Even though I know this isn't very Jesus-follower-like. I'm going to do this anyway. You feel like... You're trapped. Maybe you're trapped in a marriage where you don't understand how you're going to find your way, what, what kind of light is going to be at the end of the tunnel of this, this hard marriage that you're in. Maybe it's a friendship. I don't know, whatever it is. I know lots of people that are trapped with their landlord. Whatever it is, like, what is the trap? Life can be a savage trap. Two weeks ago, I got this email, and some, some, somebody wanted me to preach in the UK, okay? And they're going to put me up in this nice spot, I looked up the spot. It's like this little castle-type-looking hotel on a hill, windy hills to get yourself to this church. And we watched your sermon online, and you know what? We think you can preach on a deeper life in Jesus, and we're going to pay for it all. And I'm like, wow, that sounds really nice. You know what else I was thinking? This sounds fishy. You know? I consider myself a decent preacher, and I'm passionate about it, but I do not consider myself international. You know? Something's going down. So I employed some of my friends from the UK or from around the UK, and they're like, yeah, this looks fishy. We looked it up, and it was a scam. Folks out here trying to scam pastors. (laughs) Reason poll just came out, teachers and pastors, most underpaid professions, and we out here trying to scam folks. Life can be a, a savage trap, right? And many of you feel trapped right now. Many of you feel trapped right now. You can name your trap. You can name your trap. And you know exactly what your trap is. And, and here's what Jesus says through this scripture. Everything has a place. I'm going to help you put it there. Everything has a place, and I'm going to help you put it there. Here's how Jesus responds. Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar, in other words, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to the things that are God's, render to God, and they marveled at him. So Jesus says, somehow in the the middle of this trap, he says, God is sovereign. You can have this little thing, but God is going to get what God is going to get. And Jesus sets the tone by putting this thing where it needs to go. And what I'm telling you this morning is if you can find a way to let Jesus set the tone, let Jesus be first, in the middle of your trap and ask him where he wants to put that thing, he'll find a context for it. Okay? Now, some of us, and, 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 and this is what I see most of the time, some of us really go to the thing that makes us feel the most comfortable. Instead of going to Jesus and asking Jesus where he wants to put this thing, we go to that ant. Because that ant tells us what we want to hear every time. Every time we, had a, we have a conflict with somebody, we call up our, our auntie, and she's like, oh, that person's stupid. You're amazing. And so we do it again the next week. Oh, that person's stupid too. You're amazing. And so we go back to auntie every time. Auntie, I'm in money trouble. Okay. Well, that, the IRS is stupid. Don't pay your taxes. You're amazing. Right? You just, your auntie just gets you out of She just tells you exactly what you need to hear. Your friend, your BFF your brother, your sister, whoever it is, they tell you exactly what you want to hear, they don't tell you what you need to hear, and they bring you the most comfort. And so when you're in a trap, instead of going to Jesus first, you go to them first. 
go to them first. Or you go to that favorite comfort. You go, you go to Netflix, or you, or you go to that alcohol. You, whatever is going to, or you go to overwork. That's probably the biggest thing that we do here in this context, right? We go to overwork. I'm in a trap right now, and so I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to cloud my mind with work. I'm going to be successful there, and therefore I'm going to feel better. And then we're overworked and still in a trap, right? So here's the solution. And I'm a pastor, so it's, it's going to be very Jesus-centered. Here's the solution. Jesus first, Jesus always. That's the answer to your trap. That's the context for your trap. Jesus first, Jesus always. Don't go somewhere else first. Don't even, don't even take your aunt out of your, your top ten calls. She's got to be gone. Don't call anybody. Go to Jesus and the scriptures first. And then go to the people in your life and get a balanced opinion. Use that in your discernment. But that's really a long time after you go to Jesus first. Do you know how I build a sermon? I build a sermon by going to Jesus and the scriptures first. There's all sorts of commentaries and availabilities, and I can listen to the greatest preacher on the exact topic and the exact scripture. I know who they are. I can go listen to them first, and I can hijack half their sermon and sign my name at the bottom, or I can go to Jesus first and spend time in the scriptures letting the Holy Spirit pour into me and tell me about this topic, and then I can add the little sauce later from all the other places. It shouldn't just be a sermon process. It should be a life process to go to Jesus first. Jesus first. Jesus sets the tone for taxes. He sets the tone for following leaders, government, government leaders. Right? This is what he does. I'm going to read you Romans 13 because it's super relevant. It's really long. But Paul is in the same bind. He's in a trap. And, and he, looks to, he looks to Jesus to define what he's supposed to do next. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. This is, for some of us, this is really hard for us to hear right now. Verse number two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers who are not entered to good conduct, good conduct but to bad, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Some of you guys are like, yo, we got Trump. Can this really apply to us? These people are sitting under Roman authority right now. So it's not, it's not an example of easy or hard. It's not an example of, you know, the person. Paul is saying, this has a context. Put it in its place. Even if it's hard, right? But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Like, I know dude is going to tweet something out tomorrow that is going to be, I'm going to be ashamed of. But I don't have his conscience, I have my own conscience. I have a relationship with God. That's my context. So whatever he does, I'm going to pray for him. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to please God with. Because my Holy Spirit has my conscience. It's tough to hear. But I'm not going to auntie here. I'm not going to auntie for my example. I'm going to Jesus for my example. 
Back to verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subject, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who's owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Paul is in a context where the Romans and the Christians surrounding Rome and the Christians who have been cast out by Rome are wondering, what do we do with Romans and these people who are oppressing us? And Paul steps in and says, well, Jesus said, pay the taxes. So pay the taxes. Jesus said, pray for them, give honor. So pray for them and give honor. It's hard. But it's, it's, it's what he says. Let's do what Jesus says first. Let's put something in its correct place. Now, it's very hard to put something in its correct place if you don't know the scriptures. If you don't know the scriptures, it's very hard to know what Jesus says about something or what the scriptures, what God says about something. And, and there is this tremendous excuse out there, tremendous excuse by the church and by everybody in the church that says, I don't know the scriptures because I don't have time or the scriptures are intimidating. Let me just step on that excuse in the name of Jesus here, okay? If you will come to church and open your Bible and open your journal, if you will go to missional community and open your Bible and open your journal in community where they'll go deeper into the scriptures, if you will go into your prayer closet and open your prayer, prayer journal and open your Bible, you will learn the scriptures, period. So give it a rest. God wants to give something its context for you, but he can't if you don't know what he says about anything. And you depend on a pastor to teach you every week. It's kind of like Connect Four. I love Connect Four. It's, it's, I have no clue how Connect Four has lasted for like 50 years. It is the most simple game. It's like three colors. There's not a ton of strategy. Like the, the strategy these days out in these games are like you're, you're in the world of Grisendorf and... There's trees and, and gnomes and elves and you have to figure out a way to build a kingdom. Like that's, there's strategy games that are crazy. But I love Connect Four. And this week I'm trying to figure out why do I love Connect Four? And I, and I realized why I love Connect Four. And it's this moment. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's the most satisfying thing. And now they're making Connect Four the size of you. And so this is you. It's the most perfect thing. And why is it so perfect? Because the satisfying moment of you put something in, in a lane and it falls directly into the lane that you ask it to go into and it stays where it's exactly supposed to be. It's the perfect context for this little... It's amazing. And this is what the scriptures will do. This is what Jesus will do for whatever you need. Alcohol sexuality, your marriage, your relational issues, you name it, taxes, how you vote, all of it. It'll take the most sensitive, tension-filled, landmine issues, and it'll give you a, a starting place to pray, a starting place to study, a moment with Jesus to ask him what he feels about this. Jesus first. Jesus always. Imagine this. Close your eyes with me real quick. Close your eyes with me. Imagine this. You're walking up a long hallway, uh, a, a long staircase into a long hallway, and you're going to counseling. 
and, and I've been to counseling, and maybe you've been to counseling, and so you know that these places are a little bit stuffy. They got that cheap carpet. You can just see it, and you can feel it if you've been to counseling before. And you get, up, you get upstairs, and you walk along the, the long hallway, and there are two doors. And one door says the culture. And you can walk inside, good, good night. You can walk inside, and you can let the culture mentor you, disciple you, counsel you on any one of the most tension-filled topics, any one of the traps in your life. You can walk in there, and the culture will, will, will massage all of your ego and give you 45 idols to worship. Or you can walk into the other room. The other room says Jesus and the scriptures on it. And in that room, it'll be hard. There'll be a battle. <laughs> you won't please people. You won't even please yourself at times. But you'll be following Jesus, and everything has its place, and Jesus has a place for that thing. You can open your eyes, and let me ask you a question. What's the trap? And who are you letting counsel you in this trap? Jesus steps into really a a toxic environment where not only are people trying to kill him, but his loyalty to his people is a question at hand. And he looks at that trap and he says, I choose sovereign God. As hard as it is, as much as I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to choose sovereign God. As much as my people might hate me, I'm going to choose sovereign God. Worship team coming up here. Um, I I want you to ask yourself right now, what is my identification of that trap? What is that trap that I am in? And I don't want you to let yourself off the hook here. (laughs) Because a lot of us say that we're following Jesus. But then when it gets down to the nitty-gritty and we have to choose our way out of this trap, do we really go Jesus first, Jesus always? I told this story a couple years ago, uh, and it, it was when I first got here, we brought Annabelle to soccer, uh, and some big dude, the first thing, the first person we met, first coach we met, looked at her and said, hey, how you doing? And she didn't, she was so scared. It was her first time in a new city, first time at soccer. She looked back, and she just couldn't talk because she was seven years old. That's what seven-year-olds do. And so the dude yelled at her. And he said, look at me when I'm talking to you. So I took my daughter to the car. I went back. I didn't care about his size. I locked her in the car. She was safe. Okay. Put dude in his place. What happened, dude? You don't know how to talk to a seven-year-old girl? He's like, was I that mean? Yeah. You don't know? Guess what? We're taking our 125 hours. We're going elsewhere. Okay? That's, that's a lot to a rec league, okay? All right, that was a lot. It's like, oh, wow, okay, all right, yeah. Put dude in his place. I'm asking you to stand up to your trap and put it in its place. Because Jesus has a place for it. He has a place for that relational issue. He has a place for that money issue. Is it money? Like we've been talking for four weeks about how to put money in its place. Do you still not know where to put money? Is money something you still think of as not part of my relationship with God? Let Jesus put it in his place. Is it a relational issue? Let Jesus put it in his place. Is it politics? Some of us listen to one news station. We listen to one political commentary. 
we follow one thing, we vote one way, we don't care what Jesus says about anything, and we just roll with that. We're just indoctrinated to that side. Let me tell you something about my faith. My faith does not fit into red or blue. My scriptures do not fit into red or blue or anybody who preaches to me on any news network. Does your faith fit inside one of them things? Well, then Fox News is your Jesus. CNN is your Jesus. Who's your Jesus? How do you vote? Go to Jesus first. Jesus always. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you discernment. Is it your schedule? Who decides your schedule? Jesus first. Jesus always. Let's pray. Let's pray. Is it job questions? Is it your boss? My boss might fire me. Jesus first. Jesus always. Choose Jesus. Let the cards play out. I know that's easier said than done because I work for Jesus. But if you'll have the audacity, if you'll have the holy audacity, if you'll have the, the, the holiness to walk up to your boss and say, i got to choose this because it's, it's, I, I love Jesus and this is how Jesus operates and I want to operate just like Jesus. If you'll have the courage, don't you think Jesus will have your back? Don't you think Jesus will have your back? Jesus first, Jesus always. Jesus, we pick you first. We pick you always. Because you'll have our back. You'll care for us. You'll give us discernment. You'll give us wisdom. God, I think of that moment where Solomon is given a whole kingdom. And the one thing he prays for when you come to him in a dream is wisdom. And man, do you give it to him. Man, do you give him that wisdom. And so we come to you in the name of Jesus and we ask for wisdom and we ask for discernment. And then when you give us that wisdom and discernment, we ask for the courage to carry it out. Jesus first. Jesus always. We love you, Jesus. And we trust that you are our God. And if we place you at the top of our throne, at the top of our list, at the top of our life, then you'll carry us through mountains and valleys sufferings and pains and joys you'll carry us as long as we put you first and we make you our constant in Jesus name we pray these things amen let's stand up and worship Jesus first Jesus always